What's up, PlayStation Universe, and welcome to episode three of PlayStation Fix with Wake Force. My name is Will Robinson, and joining me this week are two of our other members of the team, which we got returner Adam Byrne. Hello. And newcomer, but one of our uh, missing members of Wake Force thus far, is Ernest Lin. Hello. All right, so both of them are senior editors at PlayStation Universe, as well as being our wonderful members. And we're going to talk to you about the games that we love and the news that you care about, which is what we do on this podcast here. So one of the games that has been all of a buzz the last couple of weeks and still has some news coming out, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more, is Star Wars Battlefront. I already talked a lot about it before. I know Adam got to play the beta. Ernest, did you get to play it? I did play a lot of the beta, yes. Okay, and... I think overall, uh, the impressions from our past episodes, we've said that we've had pretty good experiences with it thus far. Our one gripe has been that there doesn't seem to be as much content as we would like to see. And one of the things we actually talked about that was was missing when we recorded the previous episode was a heroes versus villains game mode which is something that we wanted to see, and lo and behold, an article came out shortly after our recording saying that they're going to be adding a new Heroes and Villains game mode. Thank goodness. Right? Yeah. yeah. And this, is, this came after the confirmation of uh, Heroes, Han Solo, and Princess Leia being added to the roster, as well as the villain, Emperor Palpatine. So th- those three are going to be returning, which they've made an appearance in the original, or in Battlefront 2 long time ago, but this Heroes and Villains mode is a little different than the previous one, where this one is a 6v6 battle, but there's only three heroes on one side and only three villains on the other, and they're just filled out, the rest of the teams are filled out with Rebel or Imperial troops. So, what do you guys think of that first off? It... (sighs) I'm still not that interested. It's it's <laughs> it's a nice addition. I don't know if it's going to have the legs to keep me interested for the long term. I don't think the game in general seems to have the legs. Um, but it's nice to see they're at least bringing some more diverse content or con- content to supplement the fact that there is no real single player kind of mm-hmm. aspect bar. You know, the training mode, as far as I'm aware. I find it just kind of weird that it's. Well, I don't understand why they didn't have. Full, a full team of heroes versus a full team of villains. If that that might just be because they're sticking mainly with the original trilogy characters, and they just don't have enough to fill it out. I don't know. But what do you think about that, Ernest? Yeah, it's kind of, kind of an odd choice, and we'll have to see how the that mode actually plays out. Um, <laughs> you know, I can imagine balancing is going to be kind of weird, maybe. Yeah, because it's like even in the beta, whenever I saw Vader or Luke come running around, I just felt totally helpless. Mm. So it's like, I don't understand what the point of throwing in, throw, just throw, <laughs> throwing in some random rebels or stormtroopers in the mix with, like, basically, it basically seems like it's a 3v3 game where when, you, when you're not a hero or villain, you're just there to be, uh, like, a, another point to their KD ratio. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I'm not sure what point of that. But anyway, they have another two other modes that they talked about. The other one, the second one that was announced was uh, Battles, 
which battles is uh, a mode that puts the players against AI-controlled enemies or humans, and you'll be able to go 1v1 against other players or two gamers. And you can battle alongside AI troops who will fight each other, but anyway, it's all these different kind of various ways you can approach it, but the goal of this whole thing is to obtain tokens that are dropped by enemies, and the first team to get 100 points wins. So that immediately, to me, sounds like the Call of Duty game modes, where you get the dog tags. Yeah. Oh, right. right. So, again, nothing really imaginative. I yeah, think. it just seems really uninspired, to be honest. It just seems to be a matter of dice just you know, ticking boxes and filling in Right. That supposed lack of content that has, you know, mm -hmm. has landed them in a bit of heat. It's, again, it doesn't... Like like uh, I was just going to mention that probably we're on a timeline, too, I bet, you know, with EA saying you need to get this out, you know, the same holiday season that Force Awakens, Episode 7. No, of course, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. so. so, yeah, but then there's a, they have a variant of that same mode where you can use heroes and villains instead of regular troopers, mm. so... But again, it's just pretty much the same thing. And last thing is uh, training missions mode, which basically just is a training mission that teaches you how to play the game and gives you tutorials on just kind of how to do stuff or basic basic mechanics of the game and understanding how to pilot vehicles and mm. all that kind of stuff. So that's not that can't that's I wouldn't grace that with the title of a new game mode, but. Yeah, it's just that, they, they introduced it as one. So, mm. I don't know. But they can be, the training missions can be played either solo or with a friend. So, yeah, yeah it's, again, it's bog standard stuff. I always, uh, having played the demo, like, as we've mentioned before last week, the look is there, the sound is there, the presentation is there to a T. I would just have loved if there wasn't this rigorous deadline to meet the film, the film's release. Mm -hmm. And if it had, you know that extra bit of time to flesh it out. The the maps, while they, you know, look great from a graphical standpoint and from a standpoint of them being Star Wars, you know, pieces, they just they seem uninspired in how they're actually constructed. You know, we've mentioned it before that the old Battlefront games seem to have there was a real sense of purpose to you know the the battle that was at hand, and with these ones, it just seems like everybody's running around, and like there doesn't seem to be those like crevices and avenues and like areas where like the battle is contained, and you know there's mm -hmm. a real like like dogfight trying to like get through a certain area. I see. Just if there was a little bit more time to flesh out those maps and more time to get a robust single player, you know, aspect to the experience in, it would be all the better for it. But unfortunately, there isn't time for that. It's got yeah. deadlines to meet, and unfortunately, as well, it's going to hit sales figures anyway, regardless or regardless of you know its reception by sure. gaming critics. Yeah, I think something I would love to see them do, even as like, which they would have to a DLC at this point, I'd imagine. But once the movie actually came out, if there were little kind of branching side story opportunities that were up, that appeared in the movie that they could take and turn into kind of like DLC. Like random story content, or an excuse to have like a little cutscene before a battle on a different planet, or something yeah. like that. I think it'd be fun to kind of play off of that back and forth a little bit. It'd be cool to see, but 
Yeah, because it's, it's just a shame because the gameplay is there. Like I love how yeah. it feels. It controls beautifully. As I said, it looks amazing. It just it has this foundation like this that has real purpose and stuff, and it's it's set to a T. But mm-hmm. they're not using that, unfortunately, as a springboard to really deliver like an incredible, immersive, you know, long-standing experience. Well, at least we don't think. I think it's hopefully it's presumably safe to say that you know it doesn't have the single player, so we can kind of say that with some degree of authority. Yeah, it is. It just uh, yeah, right. Agree with you that it doesn't really feel like you have a lot of meaning to what you're doing. It's more just it feels kind of more like museum pieces, like different looking at different exhibits, kind of thing. Oh, this event happened, and this event happened. Or it's like it doesn't feel like anything has any purpose leading up to or playing off of it. So yeah, and it's it's funny because like the single player aspects of Battlefront One and Two were simply just facing AI in different maps, like in controlling parts of the galaxy, going like a little chessboard. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that seemed to require, you know, it wasn't a massive like story-driven experience. It was just a simple, you know, meet at the planet, capture it, you know, fight, and then that was it. And it, yeah. it doesn't seem that it would require, you know, that much effort to implement it. I'm just really surprised that they haven't, especially when, you know, as we discussed last week, the talk of the season pass and stuff, just leaving a sour taste in people's mouth as to what content they're getting day one. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's kind of interesting too with like the announcement of the different, and the confirmation of the different heroes and stuff. They haven't confirmed Boba Fett yet, which doesn't make any sense. Cause he's, in the, be a he's, he's in the trailers, so it's like I don't understand what they're waiting for. <laughs> yeah, to, like, it's weird. A weird not announce him. decision. Yeah, I don't know. But Maybe I mean, it just goes without saying maybe we've just forgotten to actually yeah, formally just, announce him. Because he would have to be, I mean, they have to have three villains, because they're not going to have, because right now it's just Vader and Palpatine, so they're not, for their 3v3, they're not going to have, like, two Vader. Jar Jar Binks. Just yeah. <laughs> that'd be great if, villain. That'd be great if he was just, like, the wild card. Uh, time. <laughs> not you again. <laughs> but, I don't know, any, any thoughts, since you weren't around for our previous conversations on Battlefront, Ernest, do you have any... Kind of thoughts on the game yourself, or final thoughts on these kind of. I mean, I agree with a lot that's been said. You know, it's it's fun, but even towards the end of the beta, interest was kind of waning. So, (laughs) I think it will really depend on what you know other content there is that we may we don't know yet, since they are you know sort of unveiling this uh, periodically, all the different things that will be in the game. So. Yeah, it'll be, there's still a lot, yeah, I think we're all in agreement, there's a lot left to be seen, and mm-hmm. we're hoping what we see is pretty impressive, or does does Star Wars justice for the fans that are out there and keeps the yeah. game going, but we one of the things that we had said before in the beta, or the Star Wars beta news story that came out was saying that 9 million players got to play it, and similarly, with the 9 million figure, PlayStation 4 sta- sales just reached 9 million units in the U.S. So I'm I'm just so surprised that it's selling so well still. Right. Yeah. Without these dominant first-party titles and the fact that we had all these predictions prior to its launch of you know mobile games taking over and consoles going the way of the dodo and stuff and it's just it's literally kind of defying logic any discernible logic, <laughs> you know from like a, just a, a general standpoint like. Yeah. That's just a testament to the quality of the hardware itself. I think people have focused too, because 
people are focusing, in my opinion, on too much on the first party, the label of first party for games, mm. because it's like that's what a lot of people peg on PlayStation Four right now is that there aren't those first party titles out there. But it does that is completely disregards the fact that there are a lot of amazing games out there. I think as so well, it's like, it's that's imp- kind of the deal that you want: the good games with that type of hardware versus Xbox with the it's same. True. So it's that's kind and of I what think- it's down to. I think Sony are keenly, are like, is keenly aware of the fact that that first party thing is lacking, but it, like, the tide's kind of turning and they've jumped on that bandwagon of securing deals for you know, third party games, yeah. like Destiny right. and stuff. Like we, saw, we saw it like, you know, in the last generation. For somebody who, say, wouldn't be much into games, they could see a Call of Duty ad and could feasibly think it's an Xbox exclusive given how hard they marketed it towards their system. Yep. Those marketing this, deals are, are huge. Yeah, um, they're huge. Like get, we had this You get people sorry, who uh, yeah, I mean I had uh, friends uh, on Facebook who thought, you know, before Destiny came out that it was indeed a a PlayStation exclusive just because of how heavily tied the advertising is with PlayStation and uh, Destiny and we're seeing that now with Call of Duty and then all Star Wars Battlefront as well. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. especially when getting into the holiday holiday season and stuff too, with parents or family or whoever that's sees what sees a trailer on TV and wants to get a game for somebody that they know. They see the like you said, they see the branding at the end where Call of Duty used to be all Xbox that the ending of the trailers would be, and now it's PS4. Mm-hmm. So that's everybody's going to assume that oh, I have to get this on PS4 because that's the game, the system it's for. Or they'll remember that little thing, but yeah. So it's just interesting to see that, and like Sony definitely is smart with like they're not, they're clearly not lagging in the front of having their developers working on first-party games. Every single one of their developers that we know of is working on a title, whether we know what the title is or not. They're That's all, the thing we they're don't confirmed know on what working they're on. working on. Yeah, like yeah. there's so many developers um, that we just do like still we don't know what Sony Bend are doing, Quantic Dream. Yep. Sony Japan. Sucker Punch is working Sucker on something Punch, again. Exactly. It's, but like Shuhei Yoshida has come out and said that he's he's played all of their games. So it's like they're all they're all working on teased. stuff. But yeah, so he's like not going to say anything. But but then the it pretty much it's just waiting for uh, Uncharted. Really, is going to be the major tipping point for hmm. in terms of that conversation shifting. I don't know if sales are really going to spike that much because. There are more people than ever that have like a PlayStation console now, sort of like considering from like PS3 era. But yeah, I think I'm, another factor with the you know the sales PS4 versus Xbox One is there's still a lot of people who have uh, you know still feel the ill will that Microsoft had when they initially announced the console. And yeah. even Microsoft has acknowledged themselves that they are aware that there are still people out there who believe that the Xbox One requires internet and blocks use games, etc. Right, et sure. So they <laughs> it's just kind of something that's never they've never fully recovered from. Right, yeah. And yeah, they're trying though. You have their, you know, launch schedule for the next little while with fours and Halo five and stuff is certainly from um, an exclusive standpoint a lot stronger than Sony's. But Yep. I don't think Sony obviously is worried. They've got the third-party sponsors, third-party advertising deals in with Battlefront. They've didn't necessarily need to given the sales, but they've lowered the consoles price now in like 
in support of Earth for Christmas. So I think that's kind of mitigating some of the potential damage that could be done from Xbox, you know, throwing all these exclusives, you know, gamers away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's good. Yeah, I can, I can clearly, I, I would assume that Sony is going to see a little bit of a dip this holiday season in, in comparison to Xbox sales. I think there's going to be a little bit of a difference, but it's not. It's sold so well so far that it's really hard to, like, it's hard to expect it to keep selling at the rate it is. It yeah. just doesn't seem realistic. So it's like whether, whenever it well, takes a dip in yeah, sales. We've been saying that not, for a while. It's, yeah. That's the thing. So that, that, yeah, it's true. It's just keep going. So it keeps doing it. <laughs> be interesting. But when we're talking about not having a lot of first-party games out for a PS4, one of the reasons that we know that they're focusing on that is because the lack of PlayStation Vita games that are first-party games. Surprise, It's another thing that they talked about, basically focusing on that Vita's going to get uh, some new color schemes coming out in a while, like kind of for the holiday season, getting ready for that kind of stuff. I'm primarily focused in Japan market still, but... Um, Masuyasa Ito, who is the Sony Computer Entertainment Inc. senior vice president, spoke with 4Gamer, and he basically was addressing the fact about how that there aren't any first-party games out there. And this, I mean, his response for this was basically, quote, currently first-party studios have no titles in development for PSV, PS Vita since third parties are working very hard on PS Vita. SCE's own strategy is to focus on PS4, which is a new platform. Mm. So they're putting kind of they're continuing where it's been for a while, where third party is kind of the focus for Vita games, and they're just kind of reaffirming that they're kind of a first party studios aren't going to be spending any attention or paying any attention to the handheld except. Maybe a little bit in Japan, but still not even really that. It's just going to be third party, so. Yeah, it's a shame. Oh. Like, it's got a, a good following, you know, and this, as far as I'm aware, a relatively high adoption rate, you know, games to games to console ratio for gamers. Yeah, you know. it was something, I know for a while ago it was like 10 games per system or something like that, which is... Probably all the free PS Plus games. Right, well, yeah, no, <laughs> if, you're, if you're counting free ones, yeah, no, for course. sure it'd be up, but... The adoption rate is huge. As yeah. a shame, though, like it's it's an incredible piece of hardware, and it's just been mismanaged effectively since day one. And it came out of the an awkward time as well, where trends were shifting and such. But you see this success, uh, like even with the 3DS when it came out, it was relatively underwhelming, and Nintendo has really trans transformed that into a. a, a, a a very dominant console, so it's a shame that Sony can't, you know, manage to affect PS4's success with PS Vita. Yeah, I don't know, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it is a really great, it's an amazing piece of hardware, and it's like, that's something that's so underrated by, or it's so overlooked by people who don't have one, or don't, haven't been able to try one out, and it's like, I keep wanting to go back and I think about what I want to play on it or I want to go back and I really want to play it and use it. But it's just like the, there's nothing that I want to play on it, which sucks. That's <laughs> really, really sucks for that. Like they have a ton of games. Like there's always the argument where people say there are no games on Vita and then there's a lot of ga- there are a lot of games on Vita, but I think a better 
caveat for that argument is that there aren't any games that I want to play on the Vita. Yeah. That's my view. It's like, I want that. Like, the game I want more than anything else, even though it's not a new game, would be to have Final Fantasy XII on Vita. Like, that's what I've wanted for years. It's just still my, possible. Like, yeah, and they've, they've said maybe. But basically, my point for that is that I want a game where I can explore the... Like, I want what they promised originally, which was like a 3D open, like world experience that I can play just on my Vita and go through and... Palm Hunter 10 HD remaster. Yeah, well, I already did that, so... That's all you're getting. <laughs> so it's just like, that's what... That's what bothers me, or like they have like the kind of really crappy ports, like Borderlands 2 I was so excited for when that was first talked about, and then it turned out to be really crappy, and I was like, oh. Yeah, so, I think oh. there's... The, the thing is, there's games on Vita, but there's not ones that, you know, you as a, one wants to play, or that yeah. has mass or Western appeal, yeah. you know? There's no system mm-hmm. seller. There's no, right. no. I think games it's that niche game. is Japanese games, honestly. You know? Yeah. Like JRPGs and visual novels and quirky rhythm games and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, for that, that audience, the Vita is fantastic and is a yeah. good buy. But for everybody else, it's just... It's not really a great platform. Uh, yeah, it's just you know, at least their library is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be fun even too that they they do a lot of. Well, they've been releasing like a lot of older games, like PSP or PS One games on the store and stuff that you can play. But it'd be great if they went back and just like re-released those, or or even just have like a collection that they sold in stores that was like like classic games, like a collection. Like DS does some like games like that, or like even like they had the original Super Mario brothers like on ds that you could play like it'd be cool if they just sold it as packages like that and then had it out there mm-hmm. instead of have them like buried in the store for people not to see and i don't mm-hmm. know that'd be an interesting thing to see but but in terms of the store and the games on your wish list wish list is a new feature it's something that people have been waiting for forever that you can yeah. actually put things on a wish list in playstation store it's the first Which, step in a, a long, long road yeah, functionality for PlayStation Store. It's kind of it's hard to really be. It's kind of hard to just be excited about this because this is something that that just should have been done from the beginning. Yeah, I frankly <laughs> find it absolutely incredible that it was not implemented at the beginning. Yeah. it's it's mind-boggling. Like say, like just look at Steam and its success with its gifting system and everything. Right. Like you are literally throwing money away like I would not mind if there was like a cheap sale on and there was a game for three dollars and my friend didn't have it and I just gifted it to them like you literally are like yeah. throwing away money and I know loads of people who would do that it's right yeah I mean that's just like why wouldn't you that's the thing too like that's something that Steam does so well obviously they do a lot of things really well but just that yeah that whole gifting thing is that especially when there's a sale comes on and you just get an email or you get something that says hey this game in your wishlist is on sale and you buy it and you play it and you keep telling your friend. Like, I've done that for a n- number of times with Steam where I play a game or something and I just, like, I want somebody else to play this with me, but they're not they're not committed to buying it. That game goes on sale when I've already had it and I just send it to them. Yeah. Like, like now let's play. And then, like, later on they'll send me a game because they want me to play that one. And it's, like, it's just such a great idea. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. how, how can you not, how could you not have done that from the beginning? Like, I don't know. I presume yeah, that the store's functionality is, is nothing... Uh, it, it doesn't have, reflect on the fact that, you know, Sony's 
infrastructure, you know, the network's infrastructure is like so odd and like hard to change. I presume that wouldn't have anything to do with it. Would it? Maybe. I I mean, maybe. Yeah. I. It's just so weird that some some really, I guess, convenience and what we take as essential features aren't there. Um, Yeah. It just it's mind boggling. Exactly. The fact that it literally, you know, minimum effort, maximum output type thing. Sure. It's 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 money, you know. Right, and it's not like we're dealing with a a system that was started in like the late late nineties, you know, PlayStation Network was more recent, you know, still during the era when, you know, Amazon was up and coming, so Yeah. I don't know I don't know how they constructed the architecture, but it just seems very hard. Like we can't change our name still mm-hmm. even when people are willing to pay for it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's some really deep thing behind it, but I'll, yeah, I just just to clarify on the wish list thing. What when we when we went off on the gifting thing? That isn't what this is doing, unfortunately. All this, all this is is literally just a wish list where you can click add to wish list versus like add to shopping cart and buy and that kind of thing. So right, so you don't forget about. Don't yeah, know, like, so I mean, it's it's content. more along the lines of Amazon's kind of wish list or cart or whatever versus right. pretty much thing, most which is the Except ideal people can buy stuff if you make your wish list public on Amazon they can buy stuff for you and it can be anonymous oh. uh, yes I've seen that actually I've oh, seen some yeah. streamers do that they just have a list of stuff on Amazon and like right. drop links into the chat you know if anybody wants to buy this for me you know that would be good <laughs> yeah a lot of streamers <laughs> like $200 like, like cards and stuff streamers and social media personalities yeah they'll huh. have an Amazon wish list yep so, but yeah, I mean it's progress like this yeah. implementation. Oh, but sure. again, it's literally the most basic thing. Like I, again, I just think it's staggering it's, that it was. It's hard to think that we're talking about it right now as a segment in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's when something the, that's like so. It yeah. should have been so. The PlayStation Four is nearing its two-year anniversary, and yeah. this should have been, frankly, at the beginning of PS3's era. Like it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what the infrastructure of it is and how that works off of each other and why they why it didn't happen until now so I don't know but I think we're gonna for things that we're want to know more about there's a perfect opportunity for that coming up and that's Paris Games Week yay so I know this is something that Adam you've talked about a couple yeah. times and are excited to see what's happening there and you'll be able to watch Paris Games Week on October 27th and you can check it out Stream it can be streamed from or will be streamed from PSU, so you could check it out there. Kickoff is going to be at 4:45 GMT, which that translates to. I'm trying to think of time. Oh, was it seven hour time difference? Um, it would be seven hour, yeah, seven for hour. PST seven hour. Okay, I can't even remember. Yeah, around that time difference, just. So it should be 10.45 p.m., I think, here. I don't know. I'll check. But anyway, you guys can talk about... I know, Adam, you had some kind of predictions. So for people who don't know what Paris Games Week is, would you be kind enough to enlighten them? Sure. Well, it's effectively just a showcase of... It's just another kind of... It's like Expo, pretty much. It's growing in prominence, and 
just like E3 and Tokyo Game Show, you know, the the world's developers and publishers kind of come together in a, a relatively smaller scale, obviously, and just with some usually low-key announcements and just general reiterations of things and just, you know, announcements of, date, announcements of dates and stuff and, you know, smaller scale stuff, but it's still interesting for anybody who, you know, has a PS4 and is always looking for news and, and the like. But mm -hmm. from having a look at it and stuff, there seems to be, like, this, as I said, it's grown in prominence a bit, so I'm expecting some decent things to be announced. Like, I know it's pretty much confirmed at this stage that Quantic Dream are going to announce their new IP, which is going to be really interesting on the back of, you know, that's how Beyond Two Souls was received, and you have, like, the mocap and and the good work of from Supermassive with Until Dawn. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what you know what David Cage can bring to the table this time around and kind of put his money where his mouth is since he seems to consider himself a visionary. And yeah, I just want to open the floor as well to any predictions if you guys have any ideas. Like I know there's going to be a lot of indie stuff. I think maybe a release date for Rhyme, which I'm hoping for because my God, that game looks you know incredible. <laughs> and yeah, I think there's going to be a heavy push, you know, towards VR, given that, like, it was so shocking during E3. Sure. Sony's conference that it wasn't shown in more prominence. Yeah, so Ernest, what do you think? Any any predictions or things you would like to see? I feel like we're probably not going to see too many big things. They still have to leave stuff for PSX, PlayStation Experience in December. Mm. Mm, sure. Yeah, like I think the likes, you know, as we discussed just actually in this podcast and ones previous to this about, you know, Sony's first party studios and what are they actually, you know, working on. You know, mm -hmm. I think Sony Band has been developing a game for nearly three years now. So I think that would be, that's, that's stuff that will be probably announced at PSX and things like, hopefully, there's been like slight rumors, very unsubstantiated rumors that like the PlayStation network name change, you know, your ID name change could, could, could feature. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like that's, <laughs> it could happen, you never know. But yeah, for this one, I think there could be one or two big, big announcements. They're going to go hard on VR, I think. So I'm expecting, because I remember even on E3, we were talking to a developer and they kind of just dropped a little hint that there there would be a, a price announcement that probably would be a price announcement the Paris Games Week. And I think that seems pretty nailed on, I imagine. Yeah. So a release date and a price, and then they're gonna have to roll out the content. We show, you know show gamers why they need to have this new piece of tech. So again, I would not be surprised at all. And I'm pretty sure I'm a good feeling that No Man's Sky is gonna be announced as a you know the flagship VR title yeah, will be releasing next year with with the with the tech, and a kind of a prediction that's kind of maybe off to the left a little bit, but maybe GT Seven with the Gran Turismo with some sort of functionality with VR, because mm -hmm. I know they, I know they're working on it. It's just a matter of when they're going to announce it. So it's possible. Again, this is something that's kind of relatively big, so it might you know be better suited for PSX kind of jump on the hype created by perhaps No Man's Sky VR announcement next week of Paris Games Week, kind of jump on that back back when, or when you get to December with PSX, but sure. yeah, there'll just be a few release dates and stuff, nothing nothing too mad, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I think that they have, at this point they have to, they have to start talking more about PlayStation VR, like it's just, they've, they've gone 
like it's just the strangest thing that they haven't because they need to start talking about it and explaining it and advertising it and why you want this and why you need it, especially when it's pretty much been confirmed in a lot in different ways that it's gonna be priced almost it's gonna be priced almost as a console itself or expected yeah. to, or it's gonna be that significant of a decision to make to purchase that thing. thing. It's not just a peripheral, it's like another console almost in terms right. of Right, it's a whole new platform. Yeah, There's so it's like games that are only for it, obviously. And nobody knows mm-hmm. why they should get it. Like That's the thing, that's we've, the conundrum. We've tried How do you... Yeah, like yeah, all I... of us have tried stuff at E3 and stuff, like and they were cool. There wasn't anything that I've seen that made me think that I needed to get one, which is, so that's what they, I think that would make perfect sense that No Man's Sky would come out as like be launched side by side with it. Right. Especially I think it's trying to make it yeah. like the killer app. Yeah, because it's made even appearances like it was on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Like it was, uh, they went on there and they showed it. And like that's that's a huge audience that that just got exposed to. Because I, I think it needs. I think that No Man's Sky is literally the prototypical first game for VR. It makes sense. It's yeah. It's huge. Expansive exploring doesn't seem to have too much else to it. You know, there's like there's dogfighting and like collecting of minerals and stuff, and then you're naming things. But it seems like a you know the consummate VR experience. It's not too graphically mm-hmm. taxing. It looks as if to like mm-hmm. you know to render the frame rate like you know unable to to compete with right. what it needs to be. Gameplay isn't and, too intense, so it's a really good way to ease people into this right. whole new. Yeah, but the thing about it is, we're at the price, which I imagine is probably going to be. Two four nine two two nine nine dollars, you know, for the for the system itself. Sony is in a real conundrum. I think a lot of people are are like you know for Vive and stuff of how to market it, like how to show people that they need to buy this thing. Like you can't show it in advertisements properly. You know, you can't convey it's that not feeling. Sexy. <laughs> it doesn't look yeah. sexy, you know. And yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's hard to convey it, um, and really explain that type of experience to someone who's never had any kind of time to, to sure. you you know do but even or, even bad communication about it is better than none which is pretty much what they've been giving hmm. like yeah i think they're really gonna they're gonna amp it up they have to yeah they think, think there's no choice they're gonna be helped a lot as well i think by facebook's pushing of the likes of oculus you know, showing these VR experiences, whether it's yep. doing, like, the, like the, the possibilities for VR obviously are pretty much endless. Like, and obviously you could have exploring things where you're going to different parts of the world and stuff. And once people see that sort of stuff and see all the kind of relative new experiences you can have and the kind of day-to-day activities you can do in it, then that can translate to people questioning, well, what can we do in video games with it and stuff? And then the general public might be more interested that way. I think it's really a toss-up as to how this is going to play out and how the general consensus is going to be once these machines start rolling out and the advertising starts you know kicking up a high gear and stuff it's going to be really interesting to see how you know where the adoption rate is and how sony markets it properly right i think the a strength that sony has though um for the marketing side is that they already have all these sort of point of purchase displays and demos in retailers like Target and Best Buy and if they could have say like a demo VR headset there for people to try then yeah. I think I think you could see PlayStation VR being the headset that a large you know majority of people 
uh, try as their first VR experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... Facebook's not really into retail, so it would. I mean, they have the money, but still, it'd be quite a you know a new operation for them to try and push into retail uh, demos and displays. Yeah, mm. and it's like I mean, if, even if you had the like. Just think of the amount of draw that would have too. Just having that, like a specialized kind of station set up as like a little thing in every Walmart, Target, whatever. Right, right. Or it's just like a little booth, almost kind of thing, where it's just like PlayStation VR, and it's got like this nice kind of backdrop, and there's like a headset that's just there, mm-hmm. and it'd just be a cool thing to test out, and then at least be yeah. eye drawing than anything, and then exactly yeah. they'd have to they'd have to draw they'd have to roll it out large scale though, like extremely large yep. scale. Which yeah, you know is obviously incredibly costly, but it's got to be done. You you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is, and you know put out that potential that you know you could get you know bit doing it. But you just got to you know, take yeah, the but chance. They have to, which yeah, they clearly needed to have done with uh, PlayStation Vita, and they didn't. But and PlayStation I mean, that's, Move, and yeah, PlayStation so I, and it's just like it's something that whenever you're exploring a new. A totally new field of technology. It's something that you have to go with it full force or not at all. Really, is kind of yeah. If you don't bet big, you do not win big. Right. Yeah. I mean, just look at how Microsoft handled the first Connect on 360. They went all in, and it's you know they found commercial success because of that. Yeah. So, but then I want before we totally finish. I was going to Claire just check again with the Paris Games Week, week time. It is a seven-hour time difference. So it, where Ernest and I are at in Central Time, that would be starting at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 12, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's and then be on October 27th. So you can look forward to seeing that, and hopefully we see some really cool stuff. And hopefully they talk more than what was it two minutes that they said at E3 when they talked about it. Yeah, that was surprising. Yeah, <laughs> so they need to talk about it. They have to get word out there, and they have to just start. Because I mean, like people like us can only do so much on our sites. Like, yeah, we feed to the core audience, and the core audiences or, already know about it. So it's they need to start branching out, especially in the holiday season. They have a lot and of they have potential, to, and as well, even just not just spreading out, but convincing that core audience as well. Yeah, there is a yeah, lot of trepidation, not just you know for the casual market, but I think I'm still you know skeptical. I understand its potential, but right. I also see how it could falter incredibly quickly if Sony doesn't play its cards, you know, pretty much perfectly. Yeah. So it's hopefully it doesn't become another PlayStation Move. Yep. Fine I mean, margins. I really liked PlayStation Move, and I was looking forward to seeing a lot done with it, and then they just all backed right the fuck off. <laughs> And yeah, that was if, kind yeah, of if, disappointing. If Sony doesn't instill the fate they have into to the like to, into gamers, then they're not going to adopt it. Like everybody should be, you know, tentative about picking it up launch day. Like you don't want to get bitten again, which with what you had with like the move and stuff. So they just got to have to instill the fate in us by showing us, you know, that it is the future and that there is this stuff coming exclusive. You're not going to get this experience anywhere else. It's not going to be some tacked on, you know, mode or whatever. This is going to be this is going to bring new experiences, and it's here for the long run. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have some other news about PlayStation VR that we heard about, where Square Enix is actually planning on bringing some classic IPs to PS4, and they're also going to be targeting games on PlayStation VR. So it'll be interesting to see for them. And that's 
they could be a really good advertisement for PlayStation VR because they're such a well-known name in games and they have a huge fan base. Whether whether you hate them or love them, you probably played one of their games at one point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was just kind of interesting how they were talking about this is that they... Well, I'll read a quote first and then we can go back and kind of talk about it. So this quote is from an annual report from Square Enix, and the quote says, quote, we will revitalize some of our strong IPs in ways that meet the needs of the modern gaming market. For example, we will take an IP developed for earlier generations of game consoles and recreate it for the latest consoles, while also proactively developing versions for play on smart devices. In addition, we will also explore possibilities involving VR, virtual reality, and other new platforms. We want our longtime fans to relish reliving past experiences with a freshness that only the latest in technology can provide, while at the same time have new customers enjoy the IP as though it were brand new. End quote. Einhander in VR. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Finally. So they're just talking about in general about wanting to, not, not only porting over past games, but they want to kind of re, repolish them in a different kind of way, so it's a new, kind of a, still a current kind of new game experience, even for longtime fans. Mm. So, but then also, the possibilities involve, or involve exploring VR. So it's not that they're necessarily in the works on making VR projects right now, but they're definitely looking into it and it, respecting that the market is there, or potentially there, so... And to yeah. me, I feel like they're going to hold off until they get some kind of reception, or they see what the reception is like on the launch for the. Yeah, because that's always that's think. always the thing that I was kind of was worried by if Sony was able to convince all these, you know, massive publishers to go from day one, you know, rather than waiting to see how the market dictates, you know, what the public or what the public when the public dictate what the market wants. I was, you know what I mean. So, yeah. Yeah, I, which I is again know. that that was exactly the issue with PlayStation Vita, was the yeah. same type of thing where they developers, as a business, which isn't smart for them, they waited until they saw how it reacted or how the market reacted to it, and then they chose yeah. not to support it in the same respect that they were like the PS3 at the time. But and Square is usually a more conservative developer anyway, I would say, in terms of risk-taking. Yeah. So As is in line with what we heard right. pretty recently this week, that um, they're looking to, to the possibility of crowdfunding to, to westernize some games in the Japanese market for translations and stuff, which obviously has been met with disparaging some, you know, opinions on both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Um. What do you think about that? Well, I'm st I was still struck by this because I thought it was total BS, first of all, that they're saying that they're... Now that they're saying that they want to revitalize their old games, like they want to, br they want to bring those back because they just they want to give this... The, like, they just made it sound like this is part of their business plan for a long time, which was that they've, they expressly spoke out against wanting to do that. Yeah. Because, like, especially with the Final Fantasy VII remake... They time and time again said they were not going to do that. Like explicitly said they did not want to do that because the team wanted to create their own uh, material, their own products, and their own legacy. 
And then they got Final it. Fantasy 13. Right. And, they and didn't, there you yeah. go. They, just, they, got, they wanted to be adventurous and explore stuff, and then they got too focused on staying within that and being safe, and then they shot themselves in the foot because they weren't... Yeah. They just weren't good enough at understanding where and when they needed to move on or try new things or be more explorative. So now they're going back, and they're like, well, let's give everybody what they want and patch up some... Our, broken relationships with some of our fans and give them what they want. Yeah, no, I mean, they're going they're going away to repairing that, I guess, as yeah. are the likes of Capcom and stuff, but right. I mean, like, then you have stories really again, like... Ambitious, but... Ambitious, yeah, again, I'm, I think the jury is, is still out with that one, but again, it's, we don't even know when it's coming out yet, but... Right. Yeah, I don't know. Like, as I mentioned just a second ago, the whole wanting you know, gamers to pay or foot the bill for translations of games that they don't want to risk bringing over you know, mm-hmm. in case they lose money is kind of a kick in the teeth. I think the amount, like, think of back to like, the, the mid to late 90s and what Square brought over and all these like, niche games that got really passionate audiences as a result. And now you know, they're a business. They're a big business with a lot of money and trying to mitigate risk by trying to foot, get the gamers to foot the bill just kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Like, part of being a big business is taking those risks, you know, really fleshing out what can be done and if it's, you know, if it's feasible to do. Mm-hmm. I commend the fact that they're giving an avenue, like gamers who want games translated from Japan over in the West, you know, they're giving them an option. Oh, well, you could do it this way. But, like, you know, they should, it shouldn't be that way. Like, Yeah. I don't know. Just yeah, I'm not a fan of it really. It just seems yeah, it seems like there was a lot of politics going on internally that kind of yeah that's that needs to be resolved before they can fully kind of move on to kind of going back to the Square Enix that everybody fell in love with. I'm so wondering they're kinda, if they're just at a at a loss on what to do, at least with their the AAA side. Um, yeah. That the announcement to going back to these old IPs and you know hinting at possible other remakes is just because they want that security and it feels it feels safe yeah i think part know. of it, they have to re that was one thing that was they they did it better when uh the last couple of years when they kind of the power shift power shifted they their president stepped down and they have a new president internally and all that kind of stuff was mainly because of like they were just they didn't understand company goal setting or recognizing when they were being doing successful, but they just did, they didn't meet the goal that they wanted to meet, which was like with uh, Tomb Raider when it came out. I think it's sold like twelve million copies or no no it made like a I can't remember what it was. It made a lot of money. It sold a lot and it made a lot and it was like by any standard of any company it should have been heralded as an a success. But they considered they considered it a failure because it didn't meet this obligatory number that they created themselves, saying that they had to meet that in order for it to be a successful game, which was totally just totally screwed up way of thinking as a company when they're doing that. And that was something that they addressed, and they kind of realized that they reevaluated their situation, and they're they're doing a lot better with that. And that's it's it just is weird because it seems like they. They're almost gonna have to go back to when they, like, kind of how Final Fantasy started, where it was their last chance at making a game to keep their company afloat, and then all this creativity came out after that. 
So it's like, are, yeah. they gonna, are they going to get back to the point where they're basically backed into a corner and they have to have to make an awesome game, and they they just do, and this whole new series starts up again. Yeah, that's how I feel it's, about Final Fantasy Fifteen. Is that if that one doesn't do well, you know, that might be the last new Final Fantasy, at least for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be happy for them to just cut that franchise like to stop making Final Fantasy games like I would be totally on board with them just doing that oh, just I don't never, know about that. never making another Final Fantasy game again and just moving well, on not to, always... say, not to say abandon that kind of world and that creative like that kind of atmosphere of just doing like JRPG type of stuff but just cutting the brand name of Final Fantasy kind of like what they did with Bravely so. Defaults where it's, yeah, it's, well, it's kind think, of like a Final Fantasy game, but it's not Final Fantasy. Yeah. I think, like, from a business Final perspective, Fantasy obviously, is, it's going to be... It has so much weight behind the name. That's, right. that's the thing, yeah, yeah. Like, Final Fantasy as well is pretty malleable. Like, you can... Like, we have... You know, 15 is in stark contrast to pretty much anything. And at the time, 12 was very different. And, you know, 9 was different. And, yeah, like... The name itself has such weight that, and it's a malleable series in the sense of where you can take it and what, what way you can explore it that it's far too valuable, valuable right. uh, an asset for them to like disregard because they can change same, it like, up so much, you know? Mainly as a gamer myself, I would be happy mm. for them to just stop because they have so much baggage associated with that title that they keep... Even when they did release a story months ago talking about how, I think it was Tetsuya Nomura being interviewed about it, and saying that they they were they were trying to re- recognize what kind of characteristics or reoccurring tropes of the franchise they should move away from that aren't connecting anymore. They're just becoming cliched and that kind of so it's like they're they're getting too stuck in that mindset of that world. Even though there's a lot of leeway and you can do a ton of stuff, which they've clearly proven, I think it would just be hel- it'd be healthy for them to just start over. And do like make something like even though like even taking from like their old games like with Kingdom Hearts when that first came out, like they took they clearly took from Final Fantasy and they it was took from Disney, but it mm. was its own thing that stood out among every, amongst everything else at the time. So it's like I think that's just they need to get away because like I I'm not excited for Final Fantasy 15. Like I don't even know if I ever was. I was excited yeah. when it was Versus 13. It looked awesome. And then it's like I, I've, I I'll agree in the sense that I've been pretty disillusioned with the series. Like I consider seven and ten like two of my favorite games ever, but they didn't make me an incredible fan of every Final Fantasy. You know, I liked eight and I did really enjoy oh, twelve, yeah. but it didn't make me clamor to get thirteen and be like you know incredibly excited about fourteen or fifteen. It's just. So you have to put work into those games to really start enjoying them for some of them. Yeah. It's just like it's not... People are too dependent on the title thinking it's a great going to immediately mean a great game, which they've, they're like the Final Fantasy games, like we said, they're so diverse that it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who just likes all of them. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's but like that's it's why not... The, exactly, because it is malleable. So right, can and that's what, that kind of confuses sense. people too, because it's like a lot of people didn't like thirteen. I personally thought it was pretty good. There were it wasn't a Final Fantasy game to me, but the battle system was the best out of 
it was the best. It's definitely in the top out of all of their games. I would say I really enjoyed that a lot. Mm. And the, but it was it wasn't a Final Fantasy game to me. So then that kind of turned me. I didn't want to play the other games or the other thirteen games. Which is just it was just a weird thing where it's just like they slowly kind of that was partly what that article before kind of came in talking about reevaluating their view of the Final Fantasy games and when they're approaching them. But I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, as for a VR game by them, I'm not even sure what they would do. Yeah, I'm trying to think myself, even kind of going through their back catalog. Like, would, can... you, would you think that it would be a totally original game or like a totally new VR game or game built like built specifically for VR? Or would you think they're going to like take elements from their older games and then kind of throw them in or like create some kind of specialized Final Fantasy VR game or... I think that's the sort of conversations they're probably having right now and it's it's really hard to gauge because you want a series that has weight behind it but you don't also want to tack it on. Like these, like VR is a really unique case and even to make a, a purely original IP based around its strengths and like at its core be a VR experience, it is incredibly risky. And for a, like for a company such as Square who seems so risk adverse these days, I'm not sure I, I have a feeling it will probably be tacked onto something that's already established. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're long gone from the stages where you know Square will be bringing out Brave Fencer and like Parasite Eve and like Vagrant Story and Einhander and all these like and even Air Guys like all these crazy like amazing games in the late nineties. They're like a stark contrast to that now. So I can see them taking an untold amount of risk. To get behind something that ultimately might fail, unfortunately. All right, and that's I think something that too is that it's important. We kind of touched on it when we were in our previous VR conversation, but just to kind of clarify to other people that haven't gotten the opportunity to try VR, it doesn't like it doesn't. I I don't know what you guys think about it, but I to me it doesn't. You can't treat it like traditional games in terms of like gameplay it doesn't just it doesn't allow for that so when people talk about VR games I think a lot of times when you hear that term people think like just taking take basically kind of like Grand Theft Auto you just like you put a first person view in it and then you just have your camera and you just run around like that but it doesn't like it's kind of, they've kind of proven through a lot of their testing that that doesn't work very well whether or not yeah. it's kind of like motion sickness for a lot of people or it's just it it doesn't respond like that kind of environment doesn't respond very well to a lot of people so they're kind of they've been exploring more just kind of like the simulator aspect or really kind yeah, of it's slower involved i don't know yeah the simulator thing is pretty much i think what avenue people will have to, or what avenue developers will have to go down initially because even playing a game where i was just walking about and looking around, I did feel incredible, like nausea, pretty much afterwards. Yeah, and it was it's like, and like, it and lasted imagine... for a while too. I think for like you and yeah, you and did, Kyle yeah. both had that for like it wasn't not that you felt like you were going to puke any second, but it was a lingering. Yeah, you had that odd. linger for a while, or it's just kind of yeah. Just... Yeah, I've never. I don't really get that. Like get it that often, but I can imagine if you're playing something like a high octane action game and like you know it's the cameras moving around a lot and you're moving around a lot like within it looking around that that could be you know a potential problem like because the game i was playing was the assembly and i was just it's a pretty that, like lax lax experience that you know? one was the one that 
I had the most, like, negative reaction in terms of, like, just feeling nauseous, too. The other ones I felt fine, but that's, again, another problem with v VR is it's another barrier for, in terms of, like, accessibility mm-hmm. for people. Mm. Not, uh, I mean, there's also the, the, the price, but also just, like, being able to to tolerate it. Right. It'll be, that'd be interesting to see, too, how many people are going to become, hear how many people you're going to see returning VR headsets because oh, their yeah. first experience is going to be a really nauseous lingering kind of sensation like we got where it was in, in different situations. I, I mean, I personally, I didn't get, I only tried one simulation with it, but I, I didn't get sick from it. And then Kyle did afterwards, who was one of our other members, who was another senior editor at PSU, and he was on the other podcast. But he tried the same thing I did, but he moved around a lot more quickly when he was doing it than I did. I just kind of inherently wanted to be slow when I was looking around because it was just kind of a cool, fresh thing that I was experiencing. But, mm. Yeah. It was, so it's like, is it going to be fine for a while and then people are going to just kind of move really quickly? It's like, like yeah. first person, I can't see a first person shooter. Like nobody is, nobody is that I know of is programming a first person shooter type of thing. Apart from, well, actually, no, that's not true. Was the... I was going to say Riggs. Riggs, I, that was the thing. So that that's I something I have pretty well. And yeah. I, the only time I got sick, and that was not because of the, how the game was supposed to function, is when I glitched the game. <laughs> and it started, like, the camera view just started, like, going all over the place. Then, yeah, obviously I'm going to feel nauseous. But, like, yeah. when it was what the game is supposed to be like, I I felt fine, had fun with it. I think it'll, the VR motion sickness thing will, can also depend on how the game deals with uh, the animations and how the camera moves. I think yeah. that's a problem with the assembly is that it was kind of a very very jerky type of camera yeah. that just mm. uh, just made you feel uncomfortable and caused some, you know, visual just uncomfortableness. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how things go on. Even when like those uh treadmill type things. I really wish I would have gotten a chance to try those out. I didn't get to. But to see how when like it as the years go on, once like the PlayStation VR comes out and the other like Oculus and that, when they make those kind of living room equipment more accessible and more slimmed down and easier to use for people like the having those treadmills where you actually are in a first, like in a shooter, first person shooter running around and actually being able to explore the world. Yeah. But, I mean, that would be really cool to see for, like, if they did take, like, a JRPG and then you had the move controllers and you just were on, hooked in on one of those little treadmill things and you were just running around doing the different animations or how that would work or if that would be... I haven't heard anybody talking about that, really, for... Like, you wouldn't be able to... The cost of entry is high enough for people at the minute that they don't want to, like... Yeah, you know, throw something else out of public who's still so a bit apprehensive. About so that's what's like kind of going, kind of circling back to the original thing about the Square Enix IP. How I I can't imagine that they're talking about anything that's really that impressive at the moment, or anything that's a very action, high action in any kind of sense. Yeah, and I would call back to their game. I feel like it's more just kind of like a, it'd be a slow kind of walking around, exploring. Like maybe they're doing like a Final Fantasy theme park thing or something like that. You know, mini game collection. Yeah, so it's mm. like I can't imagine it's gonna be that 
impressive, but at the same time, it could be something that just with that Final Fantasy name attached to it, if they ended up doing something like that, would give you another something else to buy if you were an early adopter of <coughs> PlayStation VR and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation for that. It'll be interesting to see where they go and how they treat their current game titles. We haven't had any more news on Kingdom Hearts 3 this week. <laughs> like, surprise, similar surprise. to the last week's, except this time we didn't have an article telling us that there was no news. <laughs> um, so, then maybe that'll make an appearance at Paris Games Week, who knows. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, right, probably not. But an interesting thing that kind of came up, which is not looking so much towards the future, it is for some, but it's kind of acknowledging the end of a very important section of video game history, and that's that Uncharted 4 came to an end for filming and production, or came to an end for the motion capture work. Been, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's like and it's not core of mocap work, but rather fixing up little bits because if the mocap's only you know, finishing up now and the game is... Well, they have the mocap and then it just says that the game itself is nearing completion. So it's... Okay, yeah, it, so it must are, be just uh, little bits and bobs that they had to like fix because, yeah, if it was like the, the core... Too, I'm sure. You know. Yeah, if it was yeah. the core mocap only finishing now would we'll, we'll probably be a bit of an issue, you know, regarding its release in March. But it is the end of an era. But I'm kind of glad was... it's finishing. I think four games is probably enough to like without like, you know, stretching it or like artificially elongating the story. Yeah. Don't forget Golden Abyss. Sorry, yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think you're right. You're Naughty fine, you're fine for games. <laughs> I don't well, know. That was, but. Yeah, there was a uh, a tweet by Neil Druckmann that got sent out with a picture that said that with showing Nolan North, who was the voice actor of Nathan Drake, and also body actor for him, he was standing in the studio in his mocap suit, kind of look with his hands on his hips, looking out off to the distance, and say Neil Druckmann saying that's a mocap rap for Nathan Drake. Take a bow, you've earned it. So it's kind of a cool, solemn thing and interesting yeah. to see and that how they're talking about how it's just kind of been a big... There was another uh, story that came out the next day after an interview that uh, Neil Druckmann had when he was talking with the official PlayStation magazine and basically saying about how after the... Actor, all the actors finished up in their studio and people that they've worked with for eight years now, I think, is what it was, almost a decade. And just saying, oh, that's just kind of a... Just pretty much saying goodbye to your family at that point. And that's, yeah, it is a kind of a bittersweet just goodbye. Just kind of a crazy thing to think about just for them. And so I was, there, were, there were a couple teary farewells on the project when it was done. And, but it's yeah. also saying how they're, they're excited to see what's going on so or what's going to happen after this and see where things are going and i'm excited to see what naughty dog comes up with next after this this yeah especially when you have tomb raider in december which is probably going to fare quite well critically and like it's probably going to try and just iterate upon some of the staples that you know what the uncharted series has created so it's Mm going to be nice to see you know naughty dog taking their core and 
their core gameplay mechanics and just trying to up the ante as kind of as far as possible with the PS4. Yeah, and I mean, it's like their track record already shows how versatile their studio is. Going oh, back yeah. from like, I mean, going back to PS1 with, oh, admittedly, I mean, that's a very different odd core studio at the time versus now in terms of staff and the people around, but going from Crash Bandicoot and then to Jack and Daxter and the Uncharted and then amongst Uncharted, The Last of Us came out and that's just been yeah. crazy. And all, all of the and all of the Uncharted games and The Last of Us and potentially and Uncharted Four <laughs> all came out before The Last Guardian has even been given an official release date. <laughs> it's just it's one of those little <laughs> tidbits. Thought, yeah. One of those little tidbits I just love, always love bringing up again when we're talking about Naughty yeah. Dog, but. At least yeah, they'll, they'll both come to an end next year. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like I don't know. I guess to me, Uncharted Four or Uncharted always meant was one of the biggest. It's just one of the biggest things in my video game history in terms of just being a gamer. It's been always one of the one of the most impactful stories, and it's kind of it's one of those hum kind of. I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to. Which, how did that cliche, I can't even think of that anymore. But it's just one of those bittersweet endings where it's just like it feels like it's right that it's coming to an end and that they're ready to finish that story up. And I'm excited yeah. to see how it goes. So I don't know what you guys think of un how, what Uncharted has meant to you. Oh, I, yeah, I'm very fond, yeah. very fond of the series. Yeah. <laughs> two, two is definitely yeah, one of my favorite games of last generation yeah. probably yeah. probably in the top two so oh, really? yeah great um great love for the franchise great love for the characters terrified to see what happens in the fourth one because i think there's going to be some twists and turns that somebody's going to die yeah i think somebody's it's gonna, gonna somebody's going to die yeah well, and actually die this time not like sully die or spoilers somebody's, somebody's spoilers. always dying <laughs> i mean <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's been a couple of like oh, hopefully people have finished the uh, <laughs> the Uncharted collection. Well, it's in the first game. Yeah. So we get it's like at the very beginning of the first game. Does it happen again? Then um, I don't know, Adam. We're not trying to yeah. talk. Try not trying to spoil it. All right. All right. X and A on the spoiler, eh? Yeah, but it's been yeah, it's been interesting to see how things are going. But yeah, especially given how. You know, they had to do a, effectively an entire rewrite of the story once Amy Hennig left and, like, just trying to, like, adapt to a new direction. You know, yeah, to, they had to pitch, like, a whole... They did have to pitch a whole new story for it, which is just... Yeah, so it was bereft with, like, you know, problems at the beginning, so it's nice to see that it's coming to a close and hopefully a fitting close, but like, I have no doubt it's yeah. going to be... It's going to be incredible. And it's a good sign, too, that they're taking the time to... like the, This is only the second time that Naughty Dog has ever delayed a game in terms of so they get delaying a deadline for a game just to make sure that they're doing it right. So it's like... Yeah, I think the, the only did. other time they did that was for the, la the Last of Us, and clearly that wasn't a mistake. So it's... They know what they're doing. I was about to say, yeah, it was only a couple of weeks, I think, but they said that those couple of weeks are what turned Last of Us from a good game into a great game. Yeah. Uh, this so, one is clearly you know, a much longer play. I understand how important, and as well, yeah, and and B, they've you know, not earned it. You know, we know what their quality is, and if they're not happy with it, then give them all the time they need. Right. I don't think anybody's worried about that. For so it'll be, 
I don't know. I, I, I'm yeah, trying no, to think of how they, what they would even do moving forward. I don't even know, but I can say that I think we're all sufficiently excited for what that It'll team be exciting can do nonetheless. before. But. All right. Well, let's move on to our next topic, which is going to be the Guitar Hero Live review written by our own Ernest Lynn on PSU. Go, Ernest. Yeah. So... <laughs> Ernest, you told me before we started recording that you've been playing a good amount of Guitar Hero, even outside of your review. Right, right, because so, the review went up on Tuesday? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It was, went up and this would be the previous week of the release of this podcast, for those listening. Right. So, it's, so why don't you give us a kind of brief impression, rundown of what you thought? Um... First off, they have the new guitar controller, which is, I think, initially a lot of people, and even myself, were not really a fan of. It abandons the traditional uh, five-button layouts all in a row for six buttons, which are laid out in a two-by-three sort of grid. Um, so yes, it's change, and it's scary at first, and um, can be... <laughs> it t- it takes a little bit of while, but I think for me and the friends that I've had play it, you pick it up quicker than you think, and it actually makes the experience a lot of fun. Um, challenging, but it's a good kind of challenge um, because <laughs> it feels like you're you're doing something new. It definitely helps refresh the franchise, and. Um, that challenge makes you feel like you're learning kind of a new a new skill, a new technique, even if it's kind of a useless one when you look <laughs> at it in the scheme of things. But um, I, in contrast to, say, Rock Band 4, which took the really safe route, and um, my roommate purchased that at launch, and we honestly haven't played that as much as Guitar Hero just because it's... It's f- too familiar, and it just feels like, oh, been there, done that. Um, okay. So, with Guitar Hero. Um, there's two modes in the game. Um, one of them is live, which is the the one you, they show off in a lot of the trailers where they've filmed these elaborate, elaborate live-action sequences in first person with a fake band and fake crowd and like digital effects to make it all look like a real concert that you're playing at. Um, Social anxiety, the simulator. <laughs> right, right, right. Good God. Talk about that as a VR game. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've wondered if uh, the the future Guitar Hero Lives will have VR support, so <laughs> it'll be even more anxiety-driven looking around. <laughs> oh, God. People. But, Count me out. Um, they filmed it in a way where the robot arm, they had like a robot arm with the camera at the end, and had it follow the same path and the same angle. That way, when you're doing well, there's a positive video, and when you're doing bad, it's a negative video, and it can seamlessly sort of switch between the two. It's <laughs> an indicator of how, how you're doing. Um, uh, you know, the, it's cheesy. But it's in good fun. I think they're really self-aware of uh, while they were filming it, and everybody seemed to have a good time. So I appreciated the effort. <laughs> on that. Um, the other 
mode, which I actually think I probably played even more of, is called Guitar Hero TV or GHTV. They describe it as a the world's first uh, playable music uh, video network. And the reason why I oh. describe that is um, they have two channels right now that are on 24-7 that cycle through the, I think right now, like 200-some songs. Um, and when you're playing those songs, they just have the original music video or concert footage playing and um, they just keep rolling out music videos one, and af one after another. Usually there's a sort of theme every for every like half hour to hour block. You know, you might have one where it's all indie music or one that's, you know, pop music or metal or rock. Um, so mm. playing those two channels is, are, those are free. Um, and this is where it gets controversial for some people in that it doesn't follow the regular DLC model of you downloading the song. So all these songs are actually being streamed to you, uh, you know, cloud mm. gaming style. And it works surprisingly well. Um, I haven't encountered really any, any lag. Um, and the nice thing is if you do have some connection troubles, um, it will actually prioritize the notes highway and have that displayed while they'll just show kind of a neutral background if it can't play the, the music video. Let's say your connection is uh, slowing down. And okay. That's something that I encountered when I brought my PS4 over to a friend's place and his internet was kind of getting shaky later in the evening. Mm. And so, uh, okay, so what do you think of the... so? Barring the streamable songs, what do you think of the core set list? Does it do a past games justice? And build I think off so. of that? Yeah, it's uh, if I remember correctly, forty-two songs, um, a nice mix of some older, older tunes and variety of genres. Um, you've got some like hip hop and dubstep in there. Interestingly enough, huh, thrown in there. Really? Yeah, like Skrillex's uh, "Bangarang" is in there. Oh, it really makes uh, sense. Like, yeah, I mean, that like, wise, I like that song fine, but that's that <laughs> seems really out of place. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, the core list is is fine. Um, mm. With so back to GHTV, just to explain some of the how the DLC works. Um, if you wanted to play specific songs, you earn plays, is what they call them, They're like tickets, I guess. And you earn those by either leveling up, they'll give you some, or every time you finish a song, they give you coins, which are in-game currency that you end up using to buy upgrades and uh, hmm. customization, as well as those play tickets. Um, and then if you have people over and want to have just all access, there is a 24-hour pass that you buy for $6.00. And that gets you unlimited access to on-demand songs on GHTV. That's cool. I wish they also broke it down further, where you could have four-hour blocks for a dollar, because I think that would be mm -hmm. way, way more convenient for some, for a lot of people, and just more impulse. Be, 
you know, convenient I would probably... just to have um, more songs on the core game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems kind of yeah. I would agree with the controversy of that. Um, right, right. Seems um, I didn't mind it too much. Um, I'm not a person who buys a lot of Son DLC, so for mm-hmm. skates like me, it's a cool way that they have all these different avenues to play those songs for free. Yeah. Huh. That just seems. I feel like. It's it's a kind of a it's polarizing. I'm just thinking for uh, the number of songs seems really low compared to past. The on disc songs, forty. Yeah, that okay. just it's. To, I'm trying to think if that's true or not. At least I mean, in comparison to Guitar Hero Three, I'm just thinking of like the main stage lists, and then it's the bonus tracks. There's about as the same a number. So it's like there was a lot of stuff there, and then that had like a few DLC packages you could get later. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems I hate how they would lock. Because I mean, like if all the songs that you want to play, I feel like you should be able to, you should be able to have the game, the songs that you'd like on your system, so that right. you can play them whenever. It would so. be nice that if they still had the traditional DLC model, where if you really liked. These songs, yeah, you can see yourself playing them repeatedly just to be able to to purchase them. Mm. But was it a was it a smooth experience overall in terms of just gameplay quality and? Yeah, overall, um, I think I ran into maybe one error ever, um, but rest of the time it just ran ran smooth. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, the syncing of the guitars can be kind of kind of weird, but I think that's with that syncing any kind of wireless thing. Sure. Yeah, because you have to assign like, oh, first player is this profile and if anybody else that doesn't have a profile wants to play, then you just have to make sure that you sign them in as a guest. And I think that's with pretty much any kind of any kind of game with wireless controllers. Hmm. So did you just play with uh, one controller or did you have two that you got to use? I did receive two. So oh, okay. I, got, I received nice. two, and then plus a microphone. Um, there is singing. Um, <laughs> it's not really relevant overall. It definitely felt like something that was tacked on as an afterthought. Sure. Um, it doesn't. I feel like the pitch detection on it doesn't work. It's probably the worst that I've experienced in a kind of karaoke game, which is weird because it worked fine in uh, some of the past guitar heroes that had singings like band hero and world tour and then just some really weird graphical choices uh okay the font for the lyrics is really kind of small and unbolded and to note the way they indicate which when you have to sing a word is when it crosses a line this really like kind of faint line on screen rather than a traditional karaoke changing of the colors of the fonts, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Interesting. So, but overall, so what was your what did you score it overall? Um, Eight point five. Eight point five. Yeah. That's okay. Game. So worthy worthy of purchasing, you'd say. Yeah, if you like if you like Atari, if you like rhythm games, I think it'll be uh, a fun time for you. Sure. Um, if it's not gonna really dissuade you know persuade you to to jump on if you never really enjoyed those type of games. Yeah. Yep. And just to, since it's, it's, this is a special scenario 
for a game since it comes with a you to best experience it you need to buy a bundled version with a guitar controller. This is come this is priced on at a $100 for one guitar in the game. Yeah. So if I think it's like another is it another no it's not another 100. It's a uh, 150 for the two guitar bundle. Under okay. And I think yeah. some some retailers, I think Best Buy is one of them also throw in a microphone if you buy the two guitar bundle. Um, like I said, the singing part is just kind of throwaway. I mean, it's it's I guess it's fun there just to have it so people can sing and not worry about the score. And sure. all the scoring is done uh, independently, so it's not like you have a band score where it's gonna it's gonna hurt the other players. Um, oh, okay. Good. But yeah, you can use any other USB mic for the most part. Um, I tested it using an old rock band microphone, and it still works. <laughs> so if you got one of those laying around, or find one for cheap at a thrift store and want to have uh, singing with your guitar here live, that's an easy way to add that in. Cool. So, sounds like a pretty solid continuation of the series. Yep. Alright. Well, so now that we've heard from Ernest on his review, we're going to start by wrapping up the podcast and continue off of what we've been doing so far and let you know about the games that are coming out this week. And there are two games that are confirmed right now for this week, and the first one is WWE 2K16, coming out on PS4 and PS3 on October 27th. So, mm. I don't know if any of either... I've never had any history with the WWE games. I don't know if either of you have. I used to be massively into them. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, the last one I actually enjoyed, though, was Here Comes the Pain, which is probably... I don't know, 11 years old now at this stage, but I've heard that the last couple of iterations have been pretty awful, but it seems <laughs> that they're trying to, you know, like, turn it around a little bit. I know. They've been building up a lot of hype for these. Yeah, there's a, a, all I know is really there's a lot of wrestlers in this one. You can play as the Terminator if you pre-order. <laughs> and, yeah, like... They could just get back to this. It's one of those things, and it kind of happened with Tony Hawk as well. You have these games that come out annually, and sometimes you perfect a formula, but then since you have to, obviously, have you scheduled to release new ones that you're kind of tacking on and making unnecessary changes and things like that. And that's kind of what, in my view, happened to like the, to the wrestling or to WWE. The games kind of just got unnecessarily. They changed the gameplay, and it was only just for changes' sake. So they can kind of get back to that kind of core core kind of pick up and play in simple mechanics and kind of fun moment on gameplay then it'll be all the better for that but if they're going to be you know overly complex kind of like the the past few ones have been and kind of just stilted in how they play then you know it's not going to change much Hmm. alright well then the next game is actually coming out on the same day October 27th which is MX versus ATV Supercross Encore on PlayStation. Cannot Network. wait. <laughs> really? Or you, I'm assuming you're kidding. You would be assuming correctly. Okay. I'm I sure mean, it's the, okay. The MX, I've played, I think I've played, like, some of the old versions of MX versus ATV. And they're, I mean, they're yeah. a good time. It yeah. feels like they were, like, mainstays on, like, PlayStation 2 demo discs that you'd get with magazines. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, Something that would be, like, a free game with a console bundle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like when you used to get Smuggler's Run with PS2. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well, 
Well, those are the two. That's what you get to look forward to this week for games in October, last week of October. So that's all just it's all just um, the calm before the the fallout four storm. So yeah, bat, batten down the hatches. Yep, get ready for the fallout. All right, so that ends our podcast of PlayStation Fix Episode 3 for this week. Thank you, Adam, and thank you, Ernest, for joining me in conversation. Anytime. Yep. Yeah, it's been fun. So we're going to have a lot more of these episodes coming your way in the future, and be sure to stay tuned to PSU for more PlayStation Fix with Wake Force. So we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.